like to work with companies that I believe in their products and that I become very loyal to. Uh, it, it, it just makes the work enjoyable. But really, at the end of the day, it's it's the people. It's the people in the industry. It's like going to SHOT Show and being late for a meeting and getting lost on the SHOT Show floor, which everybody which, knows I get lost every year and I get all It's panicky. hard. <laughs> um, but not being able to walk 50 feet without seeing somebody I know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 92 of For the Love of Guns. Thank you for joining Team Banch today as we talk to Laura Evans from Silver Bullet Marketing. And I know what you're thinking, Jason, really, a marketing person, that, come on, this is a gun show, why, why would we want to talk about marketing? But also realize that people are way deeper than the job they do. Now, Laura helps out the firearms industry with their marketing, but she's also a two-way advocate with the DC Project, and I think her journey to firearms ownership is pretty amazing and you're really going to like it. Now, before we talk to Laura, it's time to pay the bills. And this episode is brought to you by Falco Holsters. Look, everybody, I really love Falco Holsters. They're, well, the holster that I use. I reach for them and I just absolutely love the quality. Whether you're looking for a solid leather holster or you're looking for a hybrid, they even make some Kydex. And they've got some really cool things on, well, coming in the future that I just can't talk about, but I do have one of those holsters and it's amazing. Definitely check out Falco Holsters because they have a holster for any gun, every budget, without sacrificing quality. Also use the checkout code Banshee to save 10%. Now this episode is also brought to you by Freedom Crew University. I'm one of the instructors at Freedom Crew University, and look, my content has been taken down off of social media, and this is how I can continue to teach you how to maintain your firearms and how to build firearms. Go check out Freedom Crew University because we have the best builders on the internet that are ready to teach you how to build or maintain your firearms. Now with the bills paid, let's talk to Laura. Laura, tell me about your love of guns. Um, I'm Laura Evans. I own Silver Bullet Marketing, which is a small niche um, public relations and marketing consulting firm specifically for the shooting, hunting, and outdoor industry. Um, I am a Second Amendment advocate. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a mom. I have two children. Uh, my daughter is an infectious disease pharmacist, and my son is a sergeant in the Marine Corps. And my husband is a major in the New York State Police. So I have a lot of different, we always have something interesting to talk about at family gatherings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you cover the whole gamut of all kinds of subjects at, at yeah. Thanksgiving, don't you? Yep, I got healthcare, <laughs> first responders, military. Yeah, I, I, I've got it covered. Um, I think a lot of people would find it people who, who haven't known me for very long would find it really interesting to know that I was not raised around guns. I was actually raised to fear and loathe guns and um, didn't even really know, you know, what the Second Amendment was about. Um, I have these vivid memories of sitting around the dining room table with my maternal grandparents and my mom, dad, and brother as a child and my mom and my grandfather arguing about the NRA, 
and the Second Amendment and gun ownership and conservation and hunting. And um, they were always healthy, not really arguments, but healthy debates um, between two people who felt very strongly on both sides. And I, my memories are usually of, well, either A, this is boring, or B, um, like I... I see the points that my grandfather was making. Like I, I understand. I, I, I feel more aligned as a person with the ideas that he's expressing than the ones that I'm, you know, living with on a daily basis at home with my parents. Um, and I kind of just, you know, shrugged it off. Then I went to, I went to a, a, a public state university and, um, you know, still kind of thought that I had what, a typical liberal type mindset. And then when I got out of college and started working and actually looked at my paycheck, realized that, yeah, I'm pretty much a fiscal conservative. So that, that stayed for, for quite a few years. Um, I worked in the public relations sort of um, area throughout my early adulthood before I had kids. And then when I had children, I didn't, I stayed home with my kids and just worked part-time, worked in the public school as uh, an aide in a kindergarten classroom. And I remember signing my employment contract with them. And it was, it said things like, you're not allowed to be sarcastic or, you know, (laughs) and I thought, all right, well, Okay, I'm probably going to get fired, but um, I didn't. I was there for that would, that would kill me. Yeah, <laughs> as sarcastic yeah. as I am, <laughs> I, I was there for for seven years, and then um, I ended up getting divorced. And through the the divorce, realized I need to go back into my career and take you know and get a full time job with benefits, not just this part time thing that I have the summers off and things like that. I I was looking at being a single mom and trying to figure out how am I going to keep you know, my house and keep my kids and all that stuff. So I ended up taking a job at a local company about 15 minutes away from where I live, an air gun airsoft company. And I'll never forget my first day of work. Um, it, it's Crossman Corporation. They've since changed their name, but everybody's heard of Crossman Air Guns. I grew up on Crossman Air my, Guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my first day of work, I walk in, I sit down at my cubicle and behind my desk, there's this big rack of these really scary black guns. Like they were AR-15 replicas, airsoft guns. But I didn't even know what airsoft, I didn't know there was a difference between airsoft, air gun. I didn't know what a pellet was. I didn't know the difference between a revolver and a rifle. I, I, I didn't know anything. Obviously, I knew what the trigger was, but that was about it. And so I'm sitting there at my cubicle and I'm thinking, what, what is that behind my head? And then a couple of the people that I work with got up and took some guns off the racks and started shooting each other over the, over the, the cubicles over the and it scared yeah. the hell out of me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what am I going to do? And I realized, you know, this is my job. I have to make the best of this. And, um, I worked there for five years and just dove in face first to the industry. And um, it was really, it was mostly the media side, the outdoor industry media folks that I developed relationships with from the beginning because my job was to get visibility for my company and the multiple brands and products that they had. So 
um, at, at my first shot show, I was very uh, fortunate that I I was I I met with two I I call them like industry you know rock stars legends. Um, one was Russ Thurman, who was okay. the publisher of Shooting Industry Magazine, and the other was Tom Gresham of of Gun Talk. I didn't know who either of them were. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea how important they were. And both of them sat down with me in individual meetings that lasted probably at least an hour and just mentored me and then continued to do that um, throughout throughout the year. So I I really couldn't have asked for a better introduction into the world of shooting sports in the firearms industry. Um, at the same time, as I was learning the industry and the products and things like that, I was also becoming familiar with gun ownership and what it meant and how legislation was affecting even what we were doing with air guns. Um, at the time we were beginning to promote air guns as um, viable uh, means for hunting, like for adults hunting with air guns, not, not just squirrels, but, but large game, big game. And so, you know, following how legislation was changing around the country for different types of animals that you could hunt with air guns. And so that kind of gave me a little bit of an intro introduction as well. After I left Crossman, I worked for a, a handful of other companies in the industry, a laser company, an importer, um, an optics company. Uh, and around that time, um, decided, you know, what, I think I'm going to get my concealed carry permit, which... At the time in New York, that's a huge step for you. Yeah, at the time it was taking an average, and I live in a in a generally red county. Um, it was averaging about sixteen months to get your to get your concealed carry permit, Ow. and I just remember being absolutely appalled at every hoop that I had to jump through to get my permit. You know, I had to. Well, people know, you know now but i had to i had to have five references of people that lived in my county that have known me for more than 10 years that weren't family members um they all had to be questioned by a representative of the sheriff's office and if for some reason they didn't answer the phone when the deputy called i wasn't going to get my permit then i had right. to go in front of the a county judge and you know on top of what it costs to get my fingerprints done and the background check and and everything else. So um, I happened to be at an NRA women's event. This is oh, years ago. Um, and uh, bumped into Diana Muller and she was just at the point of putting together the DC project and asked me if I'd be interested in being a New York delegate. And so I said, yeah, sure. And um, that kind of resulted in me being much more of a Second Amendment advocate than I had been prior and to really learning how and why the Second Amendment is so important, not just to me as a woman, but to the industry, to Americans, and really to the entire planet. Um, so I, I spent... Uh, six years on the advisory board with the DC project and had multiple trips to Washington, DC, where we met with Congress people and senators and their staff um, on Capitol Hill, um, participated in a lot of different educational type 
things, building resources for the people who are part of the DC project to learn how to advocate for the Second Amendment. Um, and all, I don't know, I think about eight years ago, I decided, um, I guess I decided I don't play that well in the corporate sandbox uh, because <laughs> I say what I, I say what I think. You're a lot like me. <laughs> I, can be, I can be kind of, um, you know, direct. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I don't have I don't have a filter, so it's hard for me not to swear right now. Because <laughs> anyone who knows me will attest to. <laughs> but um, yeah, I uh, I just realized that I'm better off working for the people who want my ideas yeah. and who who are willing to embrace the idea of marketing and public relations and for brands and companies that I want to see succeed in the industry because really at the end of everything I think I see the big picture pretty clearly and it's explicitly important for the businesses and the organizations that are part of our industry to succeed um, whether they're a service organization or a manufacturer or a distributor or, uh, a, you know, any kind of service provider. Um, because without those people banging the drums about why gun ownership is important, we're going to lose it. And I, I know that because I live in New York. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the funny thing is you, you know, so Robin Sandoval was on, uh, the podcast last year, right before Diane Muller and, um, um, oh gosh, I, um, oh, Rebecca, I can't, Rebecca, Rebecca Shmoy. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Um, and that's the thing about the DC project that, pro that whole organization just finds some of the strongest women around. Um, I think it just naturally, you know, attracts them in to start going through this. And, you know, like uh, when you're talking about you grew up, you know, in, in a, a home that wasn't really firearm friendly, um, you know, I'm thinking in my back of my mind, I'm thinking of Robin Sandoval's, um, she was flat out anti-gun. Uh, well, and had this yeah. Transform transformation. I, I um, was too. My ex-husband was a, a hunter primarily during the time we were uh, together. He was, he hunted deer. He wasn't really, into turkey hunting that much, mainly whitetail. And um, I remember telling him, you know, okay, you can go out and hunt, but you're not hanging that deer in my garage or my backyard. Like you need yeah. to lock those guns up. Um, and when we had kids, I, you know, I'm like, you need a safe, like the ammo separate. Like I, I was afraid. Um, and when my, this this is it's funny it's kind of ironic and i laugh about it now but at the time i was horrified um i remember my son was not quite two years old and just barely like speaking full sentences um and i was an at-home mom and i'm i'm a homebody by nature so we didn't go to a lot of places and we pretty much watched sesame street and Barney and you know whatever Disney movies yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I had right um if if I let them see anything on on the screen and my son like ha knew what guns were like he took crayons and tape 
and and made guns out of them yeah. when he was like two years old and he's like bang 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 and i'm thinking what is happening like <laughs> where'd you learn where did you learn that how 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 can yeah. this be like <laughs> yeah i don't understand what's going on here you know <laughs> um and you know now he's uh he just finished up a year and a half at camp pendleton as a primary marksmanship instructor and so his world is guns right guns yeah yeah, so well, and he's, I, he's a Marine, so he's a rifleman. We're at rifleman oh, first. Yeah. Yep, and he's an 0311, so he's in the infantry. He's he's with um, 35 now, but like I said, spent a year and a half. He ju I just actually went out to California a couple weeks ago um, to Marine Corps Recruit Depot San Diego, and they awarded him a Navy Achievement Medal for awesome. his success as an instructor of the recruits. Um, he he did really great uh it was it was quite it was quite the ceremony with a lot of pomp and circumstance and needless to say i'm extremely proud of him but it's just funny to look back at how i thought about guns as a young mom and how horrified i was that my little two-year-old boy who only had an older sister and a mom that he hung out with most of the time <laughs> so, somehow uh, figured this out somehow figured <laughs> out how to make a gun out of crayons and tape yeah uh <laughs> but so, yeah to, back to kind of the women um when i went and took my first trip to dc with the dc project women i remember driving down to washington and thinking this is going to be such an amazing experience i had been to dc many times but i had never been in the office buildings on Capitol Hill. I had never been in like my Congress person's office or, you know, any of that. So as I'm driving down there in this beautiful drive through Pennsylvania and Maryland, thinking this is going to be so amazing. You know, it's going to be so cool for me to meet these people who are making these huge decisions that affect every American's life and blah, 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 blah. And when I drove home, that wasn't what I was thinking at all. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was thinking, wow, there's a lot of blowhard people up there on the hill and they like to hear themselves talk. Um, and really the inspiring thing about that trip and my subsequent trips and all of my subsequent experiences with not just women, but everybody who advocates for the Second Amendment is how inspiring the people are and how important it has been for me personally to get to know people like Robin and Rebecca and Diana and um, many of the other women that I traveled around with while we were in DC and that I interact with as part of the DC project, because our stories are all so different and our experiences are all so different. And I, for the longest time felt like, well, what am I going to say to these lawmakers? I'm just a mom who went back to work and I work in the industry and nobody cares what I have to say about why is the Second Amendment important to me? And so those, I uh, would say, experiences where I was in the presence of other people who were sharing their stories helped me to refine my own. And it also yeah. helped me to understand and see how when an individual talks to another individual and opens, kind of opens up their heart to say, this is why gun ownership is necessary. You know, whether it's 
a young woman who was a concealed carry holder, but wasn't allowed to have her gun on campus and was raped like a few yards from the uh, university police station, or a woman whose sister was almost killed in her own home and now she's a gun owner. Um, they're, they're powerful stories. I mean, and, it, and the thing uh, is, like what I say is they're not, they're, they're more than just stories, they're experiences, they're everyone has baggage, right? Like exactly. Yep. Every, every human has some kind of baggage and it's, it's, it's an experiential type type thing that changes your outlook. So for me, um, earlier in my career in the shooting industry, it was the people that I met, which what kind of brought me to the idea of, well, I really like shooting the air guns. It's super fun to, to, to shoot this semi-auto uh, Crossman air gun that, that yep. you know, shoots at these speed set targets and see if I can beat the other people because that's like super fun. Yep. Um, but then that whole transition into, well, I'm going to be a concealed carry permit holder in New York now. And that, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, it, it, you're right. It was a big deal. That's a, that's a huge jump. I mean, because I look at it. Um, so I've been shooting for over 40 years. Um, you know, I started off, I started off on a Crossman air gun. Um, uh, I had a revolver and a rifle, my pump action rifle. And then um, that's where I learned firearm safety mm -hmm. is through those. Then went into uh, firearms. Um, a lot of the ones, a lot of the guns that I shot as a kid, I still have now. Uh, after my father passed away, I, I got those those firearms. Um, and then I remember day, you know, for days of shooting with my father. Then we went out as a family shooting. You know, those are all the progression that took, you know, a decade. Whereas your window for that graduation from air gun to concealed carry permit was like this. Whereas yeah, it was about five. It was about five years, and then, in all honesty, from the point of getting my permit to the point of carrying was another. It was another couple of years. And and that's funny because people, people you know that have not carried before, they don't realize how weird it is to suddenly start carrying a firearm when it's it's not. It was this is not normal to now. This I'm allowed to do this. This is now normal for me. And you have to build that memory up. And it's like the first time you put it on a holster, it's weird. Um, yeah. You know, well, and then, you and then you get the people who ounce. are like, yeah. Then the people who are like, well, do you carry with one in the chamber? And I didn't when I first started to carry. And they're, and, you know, they shame you. And it's like, hey, yeah, it's... you know, back off. This is my journey. And I don't need your permission to, <laughs> to, 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 to take this path the way I'm most comfortable taking it. And, you know, it's, you took, you, you're on, and I like the way you say that it's a journey because it is, I mean, this is, a, this is a total journey of going through, you know, I, so I grew up just outside of Philly. So I was, I was an East coast boy. Um, when, when we moved to Montana, you know, I, I lived in uh, just outside of Philly. I lived in Delaware and Maryland. Um, so right there in the, the whole mid Atlantic States, it was weird. I mean, going from Pennsylvania to Maryland was like the gun laws. And this is 
going back, you know, in the 80s. So the gun laws were nowhere near as bad as they are now. Right. Um, but still, they were pretty restrictive. And I remember going from Maryland to Delaware going, this is amazing. Um, and then uh, moving across, you know, the country to Montana, it's just like, uh, yeah, it's like, like, where do you go shooting? There's no gun ranges here. Like, we just go out in the national forest. Yeah. Like, you can do that? Right. Like, and yeah. people are open uh, that, carrying probably too, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And I remember um, I was out here for a job interview. So we had been in Montana a full two days. Um, and uh, I remember it, it, right in, in Helena, we have what's called the walking mall. Um, and it's basically they close the street off. And, you know, that's where the businesses are. I remember coming out of a out of a um, <laughs> coming out of the job interview, meeting up with my wife at a restaurant, and then um, after we got done eating, we were walking back to the car, and there was a guy with two six guns just walking right down the street in Helena, Montana. I'm like, okay, this is this is different. Um, yeah, we're not in we're not in. Uh... I was going to say Kansas, but we're not in Delaware anymore. They're not Delaware anymore. It's, it, was, it was so weird. As I remember in Delaware, the first time I saw someone open carrying in Delaware, I've only saw it once. And I was like, it was in a Home Depot. And I'm like, now I, I grew up with guns, right? And I'm a very strong believer of the Second Amendment and stuff like that. But even to me, that was weird, right? And I remember going back. Um, so internet was dial-up back then. So yeah. Um, so I remember trying to find the law and I, Delaware had open carry, but if someone complained, you would be arrested for disturbing the peace. So that was their way around, you know, discouraging open carry. Um, so I was like, uh, you know, that was weird. And that's really when I started thinking more, you know, I'm, I'm a very strong believer about the, uh, about the second amendment. But did I really understand what the Second Amendment was about? To me, it was yeah. about grabbing a gun, going out, shooting. Um, and that's when I started that whole journey of understanding the Second Amendment. It, it, it's, it's not about guns. It's not about this. It's not about that. This is about your right to protect yourself. And that's where, um, that's where my journey really started after, what, 20-some years of shooting. And I think that's one of the things that as a Second Amendment advocate, I feel so strongly about is there are so many people out there, so many Americans who are gun owners and who have been raised with guns or even the ones who are new to gun ownership that for whatever reason, haven't the light bulb hasn't gone off yet. Yep. And yeah. I feel like it's kind of a mission of mine uh, to help them have that light bulb moment of, you know, if you continue to wait to do something and wait to speak out, then you're going to lose your rights. And I've seen it happen in, in my, in my home state. Um, yeah. You, you asked in your email to me earlier, why do, why don't gun friendly people just move out of New York? Well, they are. Yeah. You know, 500,000 people have left, a half a million people have left this state. It's not just because of gun ownership. It's not just because of the high taxes and the bureaucracy and the government, uh, you know, getting into every little thing. It's a combination of of all of everything, that. Everything together. All, 
all of it, too much government, too much oversight, too much bureaucracy, too, too much in taxes, poor infrastructure, you know, um, but well, I mean, if you think leaders. about it, being a being a, being a taxpayer, you're you're an investor in your state, um, and I'm I'm using investor really loosely here because I really don't believe in your investor. But let's just put it this way: your tax money is supposed to go to the greater good. If you're not getting a return on that investment, when do you start looking at well, where? Where am I going to go that's better? Where, what's more aligned to me? Am I going to continue to pay a politician to erode my my rights away? Am I going to continue to pay a politician to not repair a street? Um, you know, am I going to continue to pay a politician to do whatever I don't agree with? I mean, you know, at what time do you either stand and fight or you decide I'm out? Well, and I think everybody has their own um their own comfort zone for, for that yep. kind of, I guess, activism, for lack of a better term. I, I feel like um, the way our culture has shifted in the last 10 years or so is that if you're not an activist for something, kind of like we were talking about labels earlier, yep. then you then you just don't matter. Um, and that's not how I look at, at activism for for the Second Amendment, um, I feel more like everybody has a comfortable place that they're willing to do things. Some people mm -hmm. may want to have a conversation about gun ownership at their place of worship, you know, with friends at a scripture study or whatever. Yeah. Some people may feel like it's necessary for them to call up the congressional switchboard and say, hey, you need to tell my senator that I'm not okay with this. Some people will send letters to their lawmakers. Some people will sign petitions. Some people will post things on social media. Some people will put signs in their yard, you know? Um, and, and that's where I feel like my journey has pointed me it is just not shaming people for not advocating for what they believe in, which is a, a, it's a, it's a culture. It's a gun ownership is a way of life. Um, but just choose what way works for you. See, maybe, I like what, maybe you just I, do I like, it by making a donation to, you know, a second amendment supporting organization. It could yeah. be the DC project. It could be gun owners of America, the NRA, it could be 1 million moms, you know, any of the organizations that are Second Amendment Foundation. I like where you're going with that because one of the problems I have, uh, and I've said this multiple times on different podcasts, is that um, one of the problems with the firearms industry is we will eat our own really quick, right? Yeah. Um, you'll you'll have someone. It's like, and even I was it, it, it was it was told me that I wasn't two A enough. I'm like. What what does that even mean? Well, you need yeah. to be standing on you know on Capitol Hill and like I'm not that guy. That that's right. not me. You do because I'm going to get up there and I'm going to start stuttering and I'm going to sound like an idiot. There's someone who can get that message across better than I can. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with me supporting that person to do it. Now I'm going to be checking up on what that person's doing, but that's not me. 
uh, you know, for me, I have no problem sitting down in front of a, in front of a guest with a podcast, talk about this stuff. I have and no that's problem. How, and writing... that's how you're doing it. And that, yeah. and that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I have no problems with writing a letter to my senators. My two senators here in Montana know who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, and neither one of them want to talk to me. Uh, um, they, neither one of them want to talk to me. Um, because they know where I stand uh, on certain things and they know that I'm going to write a letter when I'm mad. Uh, and, uh, it, but that there's no wrong, that, that's the thing is there's no wrong way of, of doing your support for the second amendment. It's if you're a public speaker, awesome. Go use that voice. If you have, if you have some money and you want to support somebody to do that speaking for you, awesome. Do that. Make sure you're doing your research on the organization yeah. Um, make sure they're actually doing something with that money. Um, there are so many organizations that you can you can support, like you know your One Million Moms Against Gun Control. Mm -hmm. um, the it's actually how I met Robin Sandoval, right? Um, okay. And uh, talking talking to her about that stuff, and then um, or, or was it Robin or was it uh, Rebecca? God, I get my people. I was Rebecca. I, I talked to some. It's Rebecca. That's right. It was Rebecca. Because um, Rob, Robin was um, um, a girl in a gun. Yeah. Um, that's the thing is there's so many different places that you can put resources into to get that message out. Yeah. I mean, um, you can even go to your local range and just have conversations with people while you're out uh, hitting steel. Or, I mean, it's... Or take them to the range for the first time. Yeah, you don't have it could, to. It could be like, that simple. I agree with you uh, where we kind of, we eat our own. And I feel like that's why maybe I, Robin tells me all the time that I'm what she calls a nurturer. Um, like on the one hand, I'm a nurturer. But then on the other hand, if you if you me off, like I will go full, like <laughs> kill, full kill mode. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you threatened a friend or if you, like, if I feel like I have to defend another person, like I'm, I'm all about it. Um, which she's, yep. she laughs and says, it's kind of, I get like a dichotomy, I guess, but, um, <laughs> I, I don't ever want anybody to feel like they're judged for how they choose to promote their cause, particularly with regard to the, the second amendment. You know, if, if you just want to be a keyboard warrior and, share things on social media and go for it. maybe look yeah. through, you know, read books, uh, what, whatever. If you are the kind of person that is, um, wants to teach people how to shoot or teach people how to hunt or, um, you know, and you're not necessarily, uh, like, Oh, I'm a second amendment advocate, but, but the shooting sports are part of your life. Okay, fine. Do, do that. I mean, and that's the thing. Um, that's why I say there's no wrong way to do it. If people have a hard time, especially people that know me in my adult life. They never understood that I was I was a, very much an introvert. And they're like, uh, "Yeah, you have a YouTube channel, you do a podcast." I'm like, "You have no idea how scary that was. That step was um, for the first what year and a half. All you saw on my YouTube videos was my hands. You didn't see me. You saw my hands." Um, and I remember it was uh, the first time I was on a, on a, on a video, I was like, oh yeah, you know, you know me as the hands of the rogue banshee. <laughs> uh, 
and it, that was a journey I took. I mean, that was a, a yeah. going to um, Toastmasters to learn how to speak. Uh, you know, in my day job, I started learning how to do uh, speeches. Mm -hmm. And I started standing up. I, I mean, I got to the point where I was standing up in front of national audiences. I'm like, I remember standing there going, how did I end up here? Um, and then it's funny. Then I started a YouTube channel and I got to the same thing of, you know, I, I launched a podcast. I'm like, how did I end up here? Uh, this is the person I didn't want to be on, on camera. It's a journey. Do whatever you can, whatever you want to do and whatever you're yeah. comfortable with. Absolutely. And, and I kind of had some similar experiences. You would think as a public relations practitioner that I've been, you know, since 1989, uh, that, I would be a public speaker. I am not. I hate public speaking. It is, it's not a, a happy place for me. But um, in my role as part of the advisory board for the DC project, I had a couple of different occasions in which I had to do some public speaking events. One was um, a few years ago, right as the lockdowns were ending in Washington, DC, our group was the first invited into the Senate office buildings for a meeting. And we met with a bunch of Senate staffers and a few senators to just talk to them a little bit about the assault weapons ban and a few other things that were on the upcoming agenda. And we, we had like, I think 30 seconds to make a little spiel. I was terrified. I thought I was going to pee my pants. Um, you know, it was, it was awful. And then the next day, we had a meeting with the Second Amendment Caucus at the Republican Congressional Club or whatever, this fancy place on the Hill. And there were 40-something congresspeople there, um, plus some of their staffers. But we had to get up and speak in front of them. And I thought, well, if I don't fall flat on my face on the way to the microphone, then maybe I'll be okay, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, it's it it's it is nerve wracking because even my wife's like, I don't understand how you do this stuff. I'm like, you know, it it took a long time for me to be comfortable with it. Now I haven't done it, you know, I haven't done a speaking engagement in probably six years now. I'm sure if I got up in front of a kid, uh, for, you know, in front of an audience, it would be nerve wracking for me because I'm not yeah. comfortable in on the stage anymore. But I got to the point where, you know. I got on stage and I would start talking. I would go into like my little happy place in my head as I'm, I'm doing the speech because that's where I was comfortable. And that's how I, my speech would come out. Yeah. But it's, it's tough. It is. It really is. Tough. And some people are just really good at it. Uh, and I'm not one of those people. So <laughs> I try to avoid it when I can, but I, I, I'll do it if I, if I have to, um, yeah. I'm the kind of person that gets on an airplane. I'm, I'm, I think of myself as kind of a combination introvert, extrovert. Um, I could talk to anyone. Like it doesn't matter what your job is or what color you are or any, any, like, I can have a conversation with anybody, but put me on an airplane. Don't, don't touch me. Don't, don't look talk, at yeah. me. Don't talk to me. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. You're in my bubble and I don't like it. No. Your hand moved over to my half of the armrest. Move yeah. it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I don't want to have a small talk with you right now. I just want to get to my wherever I'm going and, and leave me yeah. alone. You know? <laughs> I get that. Well, so let's switch, let's switch gears a little bit here. Like, you know, we talked about the 2A stuff. 
Now, talk to us a little bit about the marketing and public relations. And we know that you had that journey. What really draws you to that? Um, the people, really. I mean, when I left um, working for what I will, I'll say is the corporate world, being employed by companies that are part of the shooting, hunting, outdoor industry, I searched for jobs, full-time employment, and I interviewed at a bunch of different places, you know, within an hour of where I live. And every job interview I went to, I thought, oh my gosh, I would rather poke out my eyeballs than work here. You know, <laughs> like, no thanks, <laughs> you know. Um, and I've never regretted that. Um, a couple years ago, you know, in the middle of COVID, financially, it was pretty rough for me. You know, marketing companies aren't spending any money on marketing because they're selling out of everything. So they don't need, they, they felt like they didn't need marketing. So my client list was was pretty light at, at that time, but I'm, I'll never regret sticking with it. Um, and, and it's because of the, it's because of the people I could do public relations work for any industry, but I've spent a lot of time building relationships with the folks on the media side, um, as well as other aspects of the industry. A lot of people with the NSSF, I really got to know the people at the NSSF PAC, which I, I love that organization. Um, I love what they do. They're, they're not top heavy, like some other uh, lobbying groups can, can, can get. Um, Paying, paying big money for suits and stuff for the uh, president. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. They're they're definitely not that type of organization. No, they're not. And they're regular, real people. They're approachable and they're just, they're just great, great humans. Um, and the companies that I've had the pleasure of working with in the industry, um, I like to work with companies that I believe in their products and that I become very loyal to. Uh, it, it, it just makes the work enjoyable. But really, at the end of the day, it's it's the people. It's the people in the industry. It's like going to SHOT Show and being late for a meeting and getting lost on the shot show floor, which everybody which, knows I get lost every year and I get all it's hard. <laughs> um, but not being able to walk 50 feet without seeing somebody I know. Um, it's like a family reunion and people hear that all the time. And it sounds so cliche, you know, you can have 50,000 people at shot show, but it's like a family reunion. And, um, I've developed some friendships with people in the industry that are, that I that don't live anywhere near me, that are some of yeah. the deepest friendships and relationships that I enjoy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I it, it, that's it. It's, it's funny because we we met at Shot this year. Um, it was so funny because we we're in the Fal- uh, it was the Falco booth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Falco's the sponsor of this podcast. Also, I've, I've done some some work for them, and it was so funny is this um, you know. You, you were there with Katerina. Uh, and it's so funny. You're like, oh, hi, Jason. It's like, because I'm looking at you going, how does this person know me? <laughs> right? Because, <laughs> like, and I'm like, then I go, oh, shit. Do I, am I supposed to know her? You know, my, my brain is like racking through, like, who is this person? You should have just said, I don't, I don't know you. Because if that doesn't then, happen to me at least once a day at SHOT Show, um, 
I'll just say this real quick. I was having lunch in one of the, like in the downstairs part where they have the little cafeteria yep. thing. Yeah. And this guy walks up and he starts talking to me and he's calling me by name. And I'm discreetly trying to look at his name tag and I couldn't see <laughs> it. And then he walked away and I said to the person I was having lunch with, I have no idea who the hell that person was. <laughs> who was that guy? <laughs> I still don't know who it was. <laughs> it, it, it was so funny because then you, you, you handed me your card and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know that name from your marketing company. That, that was the problem. So I, didn't, I, I couldn't get you into the context that I know your name. Oh, it was apples and, then, and oranges. <laughs> right? So so then I was like, so like after you like walked away, I'm like, all right, Laura, you know, I'm Googling you. I'm like, oh, DC Project. I, now I know. Now I know why I know <laughs> that name, right? Yeah. Um, so and, I, did, I was doing the newsletter for them for a while. So you, that's probably, probably. But it's funny how you talk about, you know, these friendships. Um, yeah. Like all those people at, at, uh, at Falco, I've gone, I've come to really know them well, um, especially this year. Um, Aren't they awesome? Old, they're awesome people. I really do love just talking to them. Yeah. Um, they, they're, and then, so, so I met Katarina at SHOT Show last year at the Circle Bar. Oh, that's funny. That's, that's funny. how that's how I started working working with them. <laughs> we laugh about it, um, but it's been a, it's been a great relationship. And this past fall, they brought me to their headquarters in Slovakia, and oh, I wow. spent I spent the, a week uh, there. And the old um, high oh my gosh, it was just such that's, a cool experience. Um, yeah, the, the from the manufacturing facility and seeing how they integrate their you know, ancient sort of craftsmanship techniques with modern technology and yeah, how, um, and how Slovakians, uh, the culture is accepting of, you know, uh, gun ownership and just how much like we have in common between Americans and Slovaks. Um, and just the fact that the area of the world that they're located in is stunningly beautiful. It is. And I remember Kat telling me, you know, why, why is your company named Falco Holsters? Well, we started out by making falconry gloves. Well, they took me to the school and um, I got to have a bald eagle land on, land on my That's arm. Her. I mean, it was so well, awesome. That explains the picture on your LinkedIn poll. Uh, that, your that's LinkedIn that's it. Yep. That's, that's what, that, ex, that totally explains that now. <laughs> There's a whole yeah. story behind that picture now. Yeah. Who would think that you would go to um, Europe, uh, you know, Western Slovakia and have an American bald eagle named eagle, Nixon yeah. um, <laughs> land on, land, you know, fly to you. It was just an epic, epic experience. But again, it was the people, you know, even though a lot of the people that work in the factory didn't speak English, it didn't matter. I could see from the days and the time that I spent there that they're, they're a into family. The work. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're into they're, their work. It's yeah. Um, like uh, I remember being on a on a, a video call with Katarina. Um, so funny. I, I don't have permission. Uh, I haven't asked for permission, but I don't, I don't think it would have a problem, but I'm not going to do it anyway. I remember. Um, 
I forget who's the uh, president of Falco. Robert. Uh, Robert. Yeah, Robert. Yeah. So I'm sitting there talking to, to Katarina. Robert comes walking up and they like basically throw something at her and then walks away. And then what's so funny is what he threw at her is actually sitting on my bench right now for me to to play with. And I gave them some feedback on the product. Um, but that's just the way it is. They're just like, yeah, that's and that's what's so cool about them as a company is that they're so open to learning and they're yeah. eager and there's no ego involved there, you no, know, no. like um, so many other companies, there's ego and there's no ego at, at Falco. They don't take any, you know, anything is is looked upon as constructive, not destructive. And they're eager to learn. And um, I've just been beyond impressed with every interaction that I've had with them. And um, yeah, so they're another reason why it's so great to work in this in this industry because of the opportunities that I'm afforded as a small business owner myself to travel all over the world and get to experience things like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's and that's what that. I love. That's what I love. You know, uh, like you're saying, you know, you build these relationships. There, there are companies that I, you know, I've done product reviews and stuff. So, you know, Falco's Falco was here. Right across from them was Thrum Targets. Well, I know Erin Mahalik from Thrum. Uh, she's been on podcasts, and I've I've had their, you know, I've played with their products. And it was so yeah. weird that I turned around. And there was Erin. I'm like, oh wow. <laughs> Uh, first of all, it's really cool to see you without a face mask on it shot. <laughs> right. um, um, and, you know, and then the, you just you just talk to the next person. Um, you know, I, you were talking about lunchtime uh, down there in the basement. Um, I wasn't in the cafeteria. I was off to you know, like the tables they set aside that's towards uh -huh. the entrance there. Yep. Um, I sat down to eat my lunch because I was just like, "Hey, man, I'm tired. I just kind of want to just chill out." So I'm sitting there and I'm eating my lunch and this guy sits next to me and he goes, um, he's just eating, you know, shot show pizza, you know, the, the, the really $10 pizza. That's like, you know, you know, right off the frozen. Uh, yeah. Frozen it's just aisle. necessary sustenance. So you don't pass yeah. out on the floor. Right. And I remember him picking up and there was a, there was a, a catalog there and, um, he was looking through the catalog and it was a suppressor company. And I looked at his, at his shirt and it said, um, it was like Texas suppressor company. Uh, I, I remember joking around with him just going, but looking for a new job. And he just, he laughs. He goes, no, just keeping an eye on the competition. I just start talking to him. Um, and then, you know, we, we ended up sitting there talking for like a half hour, just about all kind of everything. Right. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, why don't you come by the booth and we'll talk?" I'm like, hey, "Okay, I'll, yeah, why, why not?" And so I, I, I finished up lunch, went over there and talked to him. Little did I know that was the president of the company, <laughs> right? I, I had a, a similar experience one night. Um, we had a couple of after-show events to go to, and then just were starving and couldn't couldn't get in at any restaurants. It didn't have like a two-hour wait, so we just went to the Grand Lux at. Um, the Palazzo. There's no wait there. We ended up sitting at the bar and this guy that we sat next to, we were somehow struck up a conversation and um, come to find out he's the owner of a, of an AR-15 manufacturer. And, and we had a, a super interesting 
conversation and went to his booth and saw his products. And yeah, that's the thing that's so cool about the industry. Like how many times have you maybe been in the elevator and met somebody or you're walking to the floor yeah. and there's a bunch of people in the hallway and, you know, you just strike up a conversation with, with, I, with we know, all, we all have something in common and being part of the industry. And I truly don't think that there are other industries out there that are like, that are like this one. I really I, don't. I agree. I agree. I, you know, and I've, uh, so for my day job, I do IT work, uh, most of, uh, well, I do cybersecurity work and I, you know, I used to be a consultant. So I've seen a lot of industries and I have not seen an industry like, you know, the, the outdoor industry, the outdoor and shooting yeah. industry. There's nothing like it because it is so funny because you will see competitors, you know, they're sitting out there in the aisle, just just having a good old time talking, and you know, poke. they're they're making jabs at each other for their products, and they're just having a good old time. Um, yeah, I think you know, it's um, one of the other clients that I have is a recruiting firm called Headhunters Northwest, um, and the owner is also a good a good friend of mine, and we talk often about how in some ways it seems like for people who are outside the industry, it seems like it's a really hard to break in and get in. Um, I don't think it is that hard. I think you just have to have persistence and it's like any other job. If you want it bad enough and you work hard enough and you network, you meet people, you get to know people, you'll, you'll get in. Um, but that's the thing. Once we're in, we don't leave. <laughs> we stay. Yeah. Well, and so it's funny that you you bring up the Headhunters Northwest. Uh, you just had a press release for them yesterday yeah. about their um, about talking about the you know basically preparing yourself for the industry. Um, yeah, and that was you know I, I remember getting that from you, and then you know I saw it on LinkedIn and, and as well. And I'm like, this is amazing because I'm pretty sure I know marketing people who have worked with her. Um, that yeah, you know, these people move around, and you know, as, as a content creator, it, it, it takes a lot to to break in with companies. Um, you know, I have to show my uh, my my worth, what I'm bringing value, and stuff like that. And then um, you know, I've seen these people move from company to company, and you know, we have you know personal relationships uh, of you know, I, I I've helped them out with their brand, you know, and and did a video or pictures yeah. or whatever I did for them. Now they move around. Now they're at another company. It's like, it's so funny to see them kind of hop around and yeah. And it's not you're, um, you're, you're there. Yeah, you're not going anywhere. It's just it's too. Um, we laugh. We call it incestuous, right? You know, it is. It is. But so what? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and it isn't necessarily looked upon as a negative thing if you worked at a lot of different companies because every company's got a different way of doing things and every experience that you have hopefully should teach you something that you didn't know from the one before whether it's successes or mistakes so um yeah that press release in particular was um kind of interesting to put together because I wanted to touch upon the mental health aspect of what's happening these days, not just in the shooting industry, but really across the board anywhere. But, but with regard to this particular client, part of the idea behind putting together this weekly 
meeting of career, for career planning is to sort of head off people who might be scared of losing their jobs or people who are already in the industry or, you know, because we're, we're looking at a recession, whether we're going to call it a recession or not, we are. Yeah, whether, we're gonna our, redefi- whether we're going to redefine what a recession is. And our industry um, is volatile. You know, I mean, if we, who knows what's going to happen in the next election, but elections can have a big impact on what happens across our industry from an employment perspective. And so giving people some tools and resources to help leverage their experience and their knowledge and not feel so lost about, well, if I get laid off now, what do I do? Um, I think it's a positive, uh, it's a positive thing. And, and knowing Shailene, I know that this is one of the ways that she gives back to the industry that she loves. See, and that's, that's, what's amazing about it. You know, I read that whole press release and I'm like, this is amazing because, so I'm in a very volatile industry. Um, I actually, when I went to shot show last year, I didn't have a job. Um, the, the company I had worked for eliminated my department the, uh, the week before Thanksgiving. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to find another job. Little I know, you know, I was doing some consulting work on the side and, and, you know, um, but because of, I've been through so many downturns in economies and seeing what has happened, we had prepared ourselves. You know, I've been in, I've been in IT, what, almost 25 years. I've seen a lot of stuff. Um, we had prepared ourselves, and that's why I, I read that press release. Going, it's it's great that someone is thinking about this now for their industry because there's no guidance like that in IT. Um, yeah, not unless you want to, not unless you read the right blog articles. Um, right. So that's what I love about uh, about that press release, and. You know, and it's so funny because when I got that from uh, from you, I'm just like, this is really cool. Um, and and it's funny because I didn't even know that was one of your customers at the time until that press release. And I'm like, well, duh, it's right on their on our web page. Well, <laughs> and you know, the other thing is, you know, you're part of the industry, right? So yep. you, that doesn't mean that just because your day job is in IT in a company that's outside the industry that you wouldn't potentially be the right fit as an IT person for trust a company me. inside the industry. I, and trust me, that it gets so funny because um, I, I heard of that company actually from LinkedIn, right? From a LinkedIn post from somebody I know that's in marketing that just left a job in, well, South Dakota is now in a job in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, she took a major step up. And then I saw when that announcement came out that Headhunters Northwest liked the post. I'm sitting there going, "Hmm, I, I bet you there was a little bit of uh, a little bit of that company behind that move." Um, <laughs> and, and as funny as I'm, th- I'm sitting there thinking it, you know, scratching my head, going, "You know, my wife has always said, hey, if you could ever find a job in in the firearms industry, you should take it.'" Um, and I'm like, "Yeah." But I think I would have a conflict of interest with a lot of the stuff I do as a content creator. Um, but anyways, it's and that's the thing is that those are companies that do stuff like this for the industry deserve respect and deserve to be, you know, um, noted for doing this stuff. Because yeah. it, 
they're helping the industry out. I mean, yeah, I've they done are. My share, I, I've done my share of free, uh, you know, free, you know, lunch and learns and stuff like that for, mm -hmm. for consulting gigs. Um, you have no idea what that does to help other people out to plan out what their future is going to be. Yeah. And it's networking, right? I, I have found LinkedIn to be a tremendously valuable resource um, because I, I didn't come from this industry, right? I mm -hmm. came from the, the dark side or the ignorant side or whatever you want to call it, the other side <laughs> um, yeah. be, before, before I got in. So I didn't have the benefit of even knowing what gun culture was. I'm yeah. honestly self-taught. Like I remember my first year at Crosman, we had an 88 page or 80, almost a hundred page product catalog with more than 600 product descriptions across five brands. And that's a lot of stuff I, to remember. And I needed to write product descriptions for every single product. And I didn't know, like I said earlier, I didn't know what a muzzle was. I didn't know what a barrel was. I didn't know what a trigger guard was or all the different power plants that are involved in the different kinds of air guns between pre-charged pneumatic and brake barrel and lever action. And I didn't know what that was. <laughs> like, yep. I didn't know what semi-auto and full auto meant, you know, like I had to figure it out. And it was really the people in the industry who, and the people that I worked with who didn't make me feel like an idiot um, that, yeah. that, that helped me, that helped me through. And we have to do that for each other. And, and, like I, I got this note from this guy on LinkedIn a couple months ago and he's like, Hey, I don't work in the industry. We're not connected. Could we connect? I, I like to pick your brain. I also live in New York and I think we might have some things in common. Well, I was just like, I, I'm sorry. It's shot show time. And yeah. like, I'm getting my, you know, what kicked right now. I, I, can we, That's, can we maybe look, this is look the, at it? This is literally the busiest time of your career right now. For this, yeah. For this. Like, can, we, can we get together in March sometime? <laughs> and um, so I just, I spoke to him earlier this week. We had a, we arranged a phone call and I spoke to him for, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes. And I look at that like a, um, like how I'm giving back. You know, I said, here's some resources that you should, you know, you should look at things that you should try to read, get a, get a, get an understanding of the industry as a whole. Um, you know, uh, take a look at your resume, look at job descriptions for positions that are out there. What do you want to do? Uh, you know, start following the companies that you admire. Um, I just tried to give him as much advice as I could in it, you know, in a half an hour conversation about how to position himself to work in the industry. I have no doubt that this guy's going to end up working in the industry at in the some industry. point in time, no doubt. He's, you know, persistent and, and he'll be fine. And he's young. Um, he'll, he'll be fine. And I admire the fact that he reached out, but I gave him some information that some people would charge a lot of money for. And I yep. gave it to yep. him for free, but I look at that, like I'm giving back to the industry. I need that was, this industry that was to mentorship. What, what you exactly. gave was mentorship. And um, I passed it, I passed it, paid it forward because like I said, Someone Russ Thurman and Tom yeah. Gresham, like, like why would, and I still sometimes scratch my head and think how embarrassing that it was for me that I had no idea how important these two people were in the industry. And they both took me under their wing. <laughs> I had, 
You know, it's it's funny. I'm, I I go back and think about the first public speech I ever gave as you know in my career, and um, I remember getting in early and then practicing because great. Give the guy who's never given a speech the big stage for the speech. No, <laughs> yeah. Not intimidating at all, right? So I'm up there and I'm just kind of like walking back and forth the stage and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get the feel for the stage, trying to get a feel for my speech, trying not to be completely freaked out. And then two guys walk in and sit down in the back. And I'm like, oh crap, right? I, I thought I had this thing all to myself. And I'm, I'm working through this stuff and then um, as I'm walking off the stage, these two guys come up and they're they're talking to me and they're like, hey, have you thought about this? They're giving me pointers. I have no idea who these guys are. And I'm like, well, who are you? And I'm like, this guy's like, I'm so and so and so. So I'm like, I have no idea who that is. Right. Um, I go, well, do you guys give speeches? And the guy, they start laughing. They go, yeah, we're on the international circuit for uh, cybersecurity speeches. I'm like, <laughs> oh, crap. Like you guys, like, yeah, we get paid to go to conferences and speak. I'm like, oh, I'm like, and they gave me so much advice that carries forward to today. Yeah. But what a gift, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, You know, when I go, it can be be life changing. You don't maybe realize it at the moment, but it it can, it can change your life. When you know, I go walking around. It's so funny. You know, SHOT Show. You almost feel sorry for the for the rookies that are in a booth, right? Um, they're like, well, um, uh, I really don't know, but I'll find I'm like, take a breath, relax. Yeah, go uh, get a drink of water. <laughs> go get a drink of water. Let's you know, and, and they feel so bad and, and and I feel sorry for them, but it's like this is part of their journey of getting in a booth, and I'm not gonna it be is. an ask them. You know, yeah, I've I've been is. that guy. Oh yeah, right. We I, I remember my first shot show. I'm super bad with time zones, so I'm making appointments in New York for meetings in Vegas, and two I two hours behind. <laughs> literally made my appointments in half an hour increments from whatever time the show floor opened. It was eight or eight thirty until whatever time it closed, like five or five thirty for for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Right. Oh man. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't book myself any breaks. I didn't book myself a lunch. I, or travel I don't time know what I was booth. thinking. I just really wanted to meet as many people on the media side as I possibly could at my first shot show. I knew it was a big deal. I knew how important it was. Yep. I was so exhausted by Wednesday that I had lost my voice. I couldn't feel my toes. They were all like, yep. I don't know, like it was awful. And uh, and I just thought, well, I can't do that again. You know, I. <laughs> I, I see. I was fortunate enough. I had uh, for my first shot show. I had a mentor. Uh, I actually had two of them. Now, these for me to call someone a friend. That's that's something big. I have a you know very few friends. I got a I got a, a few you know a few buddies and then a lot of acquaintances. You know, it's uh-huh. a level of trust. So these are two guys that I never met face to face until shot. Um, but they're friends of mine because they're content creators and they've helped me out so much. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the first day of shot, one of them goes, all right, we're going, we're going walking. So Tuesday, uh, you know, cause Monday was range day. Uh, Tuesday, we, we were walking around shot. He's like, this is the basement. Right. And then we hit a couple of booths together so I could see how to, to talk to people and, yeah, and learn how to do it. Then we, then we, went, then we went up to the main floor 
And he goes, this is where everyone gets lost. Because oh, I you know, get lost at least in the basement. <laughs> the basement. Well, the basement gets weird because then they throw the they throw that um, you know, the 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 food place in there, and then there's this place like around the corner and oh now yeah. we've got Caesars and yeah. Yeah. So now and then he's like, We're walking through um, you know, walking through the main floor, and he goes, You gotta learn how to navigate this floor. And, and I'm like, why? He goes, You will literally lose how to get out of the show. Because the way they have all the booths, and that's what I learned. Like, if you're at Smith and Wesson's booth, you turn around until you see Glock, and then a straight line—that's the door to get out. Um, so you start learning these these landmarks, and yeah, it's except uh, it, it's a, except then you know from year to year, sometimes the big booths move. They move, yeah, and, they move on you, and they move a lot in the basement, and so I'm. I'm usually yes. okay on the main floor, but I get not this past shot show, but the shot show before I got so lost in the basement and I was like 15 minutes late for a meeting. And I was actually, and I don't usually get super panicky, but I was having a panic attack and I kept asking it's, people, where do I, 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 and I finally, I just was like, all right, I need to sit down and take a breath and just start over. <laughs> I think the hardest part about the basement is the way they number the booths. It's not like odds and it's evens. It's not like linear. A, like a street. Yeah, not like yeah. a street. No. It is It is the back wall between booths is odds and even. And it's like, why would you ever need number things this way? I I agree with you. It, it's I weird. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it was it, so it, weird. It's a killer for me. So now I try not to do the back-to-back -back meetings because now yeah. that I don't work in a booth, which – to be honest with you, I have found in all the shot shows that I've been in a booth for the week to be much more exhausting than walking the floor. Um, yeah. But I try to I try to book well, at least 15 minutes in between appointments to get from A to B because I do get so lost. And that's and that's what he that's what this guy taught me. He goes, look, my first shot show ever. I ran around shot doing yeah. meetings. And he goes, I didn't get to see the I didn't get to see the show. Um. So and I got some great uh, guidance from that. And yeah. my, you know, my first shot show was a huge success, you know, going in like last year, I, I, I got to walk around shot because, you know, there were, there are companies I wanted to meet, right. That I don't have a relationship that I wanted to meet. Um, then I always say Friday, uh, Friday is my fanboy day, right. I do mm -hmm. all my work. I'm done work on Thursday. Friday is just my day of just going around, just going fun. Oh, I can't say it. Yeah, it's fun. Like I, I, I want to go, I, I want to go sit there and, you know, play, I would say SIG, but they're not, they're not shot anymore. Um, or, you know, I just want to go play. Yeah. You know, I want to go into Breda's booth and play with the new whatever. Or, you know, yeah. That, and that's, and they, it was so funny. You go walking in there, you got your media badge and they're looking at you and they're like, well, what do you do? Like uh, last year I was in Buck Knives on Friday and I got talking, I, you know, I got talking to them and, and they're looking at they're like media. What do you do? I, well, I'm the gun channel. It's like, okay. And I'm like, Hey, look, I'm just being a fanboy right now. Yeah. All right. And once I said that to the, to the marketing person, all barriers were done. He knew yeah. I was there for fun. It's Friday. He doesn't care. Yeah. No, you know? they're tired. <laughs> we yeah. had, we, we said, I said, I had no plans of spending 45 minutes in the booth at Buck. I sat for 45 minutes in the, in the booth of Buck just talking about knives. Um, yeah. 
and I had a great time. Uh, met the CEO. He was, you know, he was getting ready to leave and got to meet him. It was, and I walked out with a knife. Uh, I was like, that's awesome. awesome. And, well, that's kind of the other thing about the industry that um, it does make you feel in the greater, like in the greater world of, of you know, gun culture and the gun life. Yeah. Uh, most people don't get to go to SHOT Show. No, no. You know, and I took for granted for the longest time how fortunate I was to be able to attend things like SHOT Show and media conferences and, you know, NRA and... Yeah, um, yep. Just because I, I work here and there's other people that would... I mean, think about how many people would give their right arm to go to SHOT Show. Oh, I I know I got a lot of I got a lot of people that are very jealous of me for shot show. Like uh, I so I started a new job. Uh, it was in October. I started up in <laughs> going into the uh, the the accepting the job. It's like, hey, this is great, but, but I'm in going January, to shot <laughs> in January every January I'm gone for a week, and they're like, well, I guess usually the third week in January I'm gone, and they're like. What do you do? I go. I'm, I got a shot show, and fortunately, they're like they're they were shooters. So like you got a shot oh. show? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but trust me, it's it's work. <laughs> it's, it's work. It's a play. lot of work. I mean, it is yeah. it is the m most exhausting experience in it's in so, so many ways, it's emotionally, it's physically. So yeah. But it, but it is, um, it's an, it's electric, it's an electric experience. And for me, like I said, it's, it's like, it's like a family reunion. Um, yeah. I know you asked yeah. me like, what did I feel the, the marketing challenges were in our, in our yeah. industry? Um, I feel like as, and I can say this as a consultant, um, many companies don't understand who their audience is. They think a they lot know. Of content creators don't understand who their audience is either. <laughs> they think they know, but but they, yeah, don't they think quite, they don't. But they don't quite. They don't quite know, and they sometimes don't recognize that they have a variety of audiences. Whether it's an audience of dealers, or it's an audience of PRS shooters, or it's an audience of people who are new to firearms altogether. Um, so I have often found that a struggle to help companies do some, uh, internal thinking and internal, you know, brainstorming and, and strategizing to really nail down who their audience is. Because if you haven't defined that and then you start throwing money out there and, um, marketing campaigns, yeah, you, yeah. you don't. Um, so it also is an opportunity to help them, you know, to define who the audience is. So I, I enjoy that. Um, the other difficulty is, and this is kind of a bigger picture type thing, people who are part. I'm remembering back to my childhood. Grandpa always had like a Midway USA catalog, which was like the big, remember like the big old yeah. JCPenney's catalogs? Yep. Um, and 
if I hadn't visited my grandparents' house and flipped through those those catalogs, I wouldn't have even known that that type of product existed. Um, So when I think about that, relates to all the people who are new to gun, the literal millions of Americans who are new to gun ownership and how difficult it is to reach them because they don't have familiarity. Look, they're not subscribing to Guns and Ammo or Recoil or, you know, Peterson's Hunting. Um, They they don't even necessarily know enough to try to find a, a local range. They don't maybe know that they can get some education from some of the big box retailers offer educational opportunities or they don't have awareness of some of the organizations that are part of our industry, like the USCCA or the NRA or, you know, it's that trying to bridge that gap of reaching these people who are new, who have zero, you know, experience. They don't know what they don't know yet. Exactly. They don't even know where to look. Um, So I think that's a challenge for marketers across the board. And I think companies are looking at it um, a little bit more closely now because these, this audience, they're, you know, buying ammo, they're buying accessories, they're buying guns, they're getting education and spend a lot of money they can get their hands on. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So that's, that's that's a challenge as well because they can't do it in the same way that, any uh, like they can't do it in the same way a car company can do it or a right. um, that's what i was saying uh, marketing in the firearm industry is almost like marketing in the tobacco industry right yeah. there are certain places you cannot advertise in um oh yeah absolutely you know, there, there's certain ways you can advertise and certain ways you can't advertise um and that's and that's tough i mean that's that's stressful because for some reason firearms are the big evil out there um, and God help us if we share information about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we wouldn't, we certainly wouldn't want anybody to be well informed about Res- firearm respons- safety. Respon- responsible. Gun ownership. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it, that was one thing that it was always, it, it, you know, because I'm on the other side of this, right? Because I'm always talking to the marketing people. You know, I've talked to a lot of marketing people from companies. Um, and I know, you know, sometimes I know what their challenge is. Um, sometimes I don't even know what my challenge is, right? And it's so funny to, to talk back and forth. You learn a lot of stuff about yourself. And there are times where, um, you know, I've talked to a marketing person and, you know, they're, they're telling me something. I go, so this is what I'm hearing. I repeat it back to them and they're just like, yeah, I like the way you say it better. <laughs> um, you know, like, okay. So yeah. And they, they learn off of me. And, and that's the thing is kind of sharing that stress of how do we get that message out? Because that's tough. That, that's yeah. a really tough thing. And that's why you see so many companies uh, in our space leaning toward the social media influencers because they can, like you, you can talk about products. We can pull, can, we can pull things off that the companies can't. Yeah. And you have a platform for that and the companies yep. do not. So it's, it's a really, it's a really important, it's an important aspect. One of my new clients um, that attended their very first shot show this year um, has an extremely innovative, like it's a game changing product. 
The company's name is Core Cases, K-O-R. And is that the, the foam? Yeah. The foam inserts? Yeah. And um, again, it's a struggle, particularly like on the social media side to promote the brand because they can't, they're not selling guns. No. Sorry, that's my, that's my question. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're not selling guns. They're selling a product that helps you transport your guns. Um, yeah. And it helps you save money and it helps you save space. And it's more friendly to the environment. Um, but it's just. How do you get that just, message out? Well, and that's, and that's how we're doing it. We're doing it through, yeah. you know, through relationships with people like you through, getting, you know, uh, media visibility with the people that I've built relationships with over, you know, more than a decade on the media side and not just saying to them, hey, you've got to check out this product because that's what I say about all my clients products. But, hey, you really need to check this product out. Like, I'm not blowing smoke here. This is this is revolutionary and it's going to change things across well, not just this industry, yeah. but multiple industries. And what and what I think one of the problems I see with that is, uh, you know, we're in the fire, you know, in the firearms industry, it's about the gun, right? Mm -hmm. Accessories are always secondary. Um, you know, cause everybody knows, you know, I'm not even going to name any names, but you know, if, if I go up to somebody and go, give me three names of red dot companies, mm -hmm. they'll rattle it off the top of their head. They go, give me three companies that make a case, you know, for, for transporting a firearm. Probably say one. They yeah. Couldn't come up with two, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yet, but yet, you know, like somebody like me, when I used to travel through the airline system, I used to travel with my gun. I could tell you three cases easily. Yeah. Yeah. And I could tell you which one I liked and which one went with me all all, all the places. And and why um, you liked it and why and why, and why I liked it exactly. Yeah. Um, and those are things that people don't think of. You know, when I was on the East Coast, I used to travel for uh, competitions. Uh, I lived in Maryland. I went to a competition in New Jersey. I had to figure out how to get through Delaware and New Jersey to a competition. Mm -hmm. and, Ouch. Yeah, yeah, right. So I had to figure out which 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 state is the most restrictive, and it came down to literally a case, a hard sided case, and then um, what, and then how I packed the gun inside that case, mm -hmm. and then you know obviously where my ammunition is and stuff like that. But those are just things that people don't think about in this industry unless yeah. you actually do it. You know, my mom still lives in Pennsylvania. Um, when I go back to see her, one of my sins goes with me. I, I know how to check a firearm into the airline system. I know what case I'm going to grab. I know how it's going to You don't want to fly through, you don't want to fly through LaGuardia or JFK. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just hope I don't get redirected for, to those. Um uh, and, and I'm flying into Allentown, which it's not hard to get redirected to, to those things if there's a problem. Yeah. Um, but no, those are the those are things that I think of that people don't think of. Um, like, you know, it's funny. As soon as you said that, I was like, I, I remember that. I remember that I was at their booth at shot um, this year. I thought it was kind of a really cool uh, product. That's the problem I have with something like that. It's like, how is that message going to get? How are they going to get that message out? Um, how well, are they going to be? That's what they hire me for. So I yeah, exactly. You know, that's that's why end, I work with people like you. 
and I say, um, you know, here, I'm going to send you some information about this product and, you know, how can we, you know, do something to work together so that you might want to review it um, and share it with your audience. So that's, that's how we do it. I think one of the other things that's very misunderstood in the firearms industry and probably not something that consumers are going to necessarily care about, but it is important for people to understand generally is that the margins in terms of generating revenue are higher on accessories than they are for firearms. I used to be an FFL. I was an FFL for 10 years. I didn't make the money on the guns. Honestly, I made $20 on a firearm. If I sold you a gun, I made $20 on it. It's all the other stuff. I made my money on the five magazines that you bought. Yep. Or the holster you bought. That's where the money is. Yeah. Yeah. The the lasers or the, the, you know, weapons mounted. Yeah. The flashlights, red dot. Yeah. All the stuff. That's, that's how I made it. That's how I made money as a firearms dealer. It was not, it was not on the gun itself. The gun drew you in. Mm-hmm. The, all the other stuff is how I actually made the money. And it's then, then, then it's that repeat buyer, you know? So it's, again, it's the building the relationship and um, yeah, that's all part of the marketing kind of, kind of PR thing. And It's funny. Cause uh, you know, so I was a small FFL. It was tied to my house. Um, the customers I had were very loyal to me because it was all personal. It was all personal mm-hmm. relationship that I built with my customers. I remember talking to an FFL on the East Coast on a, on a board one time, and he's like, how do I compete against, you know, a, 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 he said the name of the big box store, but he goes, how do I compete against this big box store? And my response is, you don't. No, it's he's a like, different, well, how do, completely different. He goes, how do I make money then? I go, this is guerrilla warfare. You need to think of this as guerrilla warfare. And he's like, I don't understand. I go, all right, you're never going to beat them on price. There's just no way you're going to beat them on price. You can't buy a truckload of guns. And he goes, okay. I go, you're going to build a relationship. I go, one thing that's going to happen is, is that go into a big box store, go up to the gun counter and see how long you're ignored until you're finally waited on. Because there's two people and ten pe- there's two people behind the counter and 10 people wanting to look at the same gun. I go, for me, it, it's it's by appointment. And when you're here, I'm not answering the phone. I'm not answering emails. I am yours. Well, I and think that. about that from the perspective of a female. So, so, and I've had some experiences with that specifically at big box retailers as a new, as a new concealed carry permit holder, as a new handgun owner, as somebody who wanted to go and get some accessories for my handgun. You know, I walk into these places, go up to the counter, completely be ignored, um, have people make comments like, well, why would you want a semi-auto or, you know, what do you need an extra magazine for? Or, uh, you know, it's like, really? How about I'm the customer and I've got money and like, maybe I know what I want better than you do? Um so those are things that I do also kind of as a, as a give back. I've done some writing in the last couple of years for Shooting Industry Magazine, which generally goes to dealers and distributors um, on the trade side and just shared stories and experiences that I've had and how retailers like frontline salespeople can maybe think a little bit about their audience and how to approach their audience because you don't know what they already know just by looking at them. 
it's you know, like and, and, you, and that's kind of, can I can circle back to my experiences with the DC project because we would go as small groups of like five or six women into a meeting, let's say with a congressman and we would sit down and we would each spend a few minutes telling them what is it about gun ownership that's important to me and how do I represent female gun ownership in America? And we all look different. We're all different ages. We're all different colors. We're all different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, you might be shocked to know that this person was a drill instructor in the Marine Corps, this woman who's like not even five feet tall. And then, you know, another woman uh, owns one of the largest gun dealers in the country, you know, like yeah. just amazing diversity in, in human experience between these people. But sometimes at the retail level, the ego kicks it's, in it's, to these gun yeah. sales counters people. And, and they're, and it's like, wow. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. Cause I remember uh, talking to Robin when she was on the, uh, on the show and we were talking about uh, when my wife and I got our concealed carry permits. So this was before I was in FFL. And I remember, so she loves her Beretta 92. Okay. Not a very good concealed carry gun, right? Just a little bit. Just not. A little, little on the big side. Um, so I remember we went to a gun dealer here. It wasn't a big box store. It was still a gun dealer. And, you know, I remember walking up and my wife's like, well, I don't want you to like interfere with this. I'm like, I don't, I'm just, no, that's fine. I'm just here to make sure you don't get, you know, screwed over. Mm -hmm. So we walk up and they're like, what, what, how are we going to, She's looking for a concealed carry gun. I'm going to be over there looking at crap, right? And then all I'm doing is I'm listening to, to the conversation. And then finally, she decided on a, a, SIG, you know, a SIG that fit her hand well. She liked it. And then, you know, now, they're, now we're talking about gun leather, right? How are you going to carry this thing? And I, I, I don't know what this guy was thinking about recommending a shoulder holster for a woman. Right. And I remember saying that and Robin's just like shaking her head like, God, do you not understand anatomy? Right. I mean, <laughs> even I knew that was a bad question to ask. You know, yeah. Yeah. Subject to bring up. You know, you need to understand, you know, going back to understand your audience. He had no mm -hmm. clue. He's like he's like another guy. Yeah. Like you got what a woman in front of you. How he, how he likes to carry. Yeah. I, just, I equate like carrying to like buying a pair of shoes or for a woman, you know, buying a bra, like you need to try that on. <laughs> yeah, you need to yeah, see, exactly. does it fit you? Is it comfortable? Will it work? Can you, can you manage it? Um, but, you know, again, that's kind of like a, a, a giving back thing that, that, that I try to do is because I've had experiences like that too. I joined a local um, range, like an outdoor range in my community and um paid the fee, went to the safety briefing and orientation, and then went there. I'm a three strikes you're out kind of person. So I'll give you three. And after three, you're dead to me. Yeah. Well, the first time I went, there was a couple of people inside and they were like, oh, hello, little lady. What are you doing here today? Yeah. And, and I'm thinking, okay, like I'm going to practice shooting and go out and put 
put some downrange. What are you guys doing? Because at least I'm going to shoot and you're just sitting there on the stools twiddling your thumbs. And of course, yeah. I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking in my head. And then virtually the same thing happened two more times. And I thought, I'm never coming back here. Okay. It's the closest range to my house. But at the last time I walked out of there, I thought to myself, not that I think that I'm important, but I thought if these guys had any idea what I do for a living and the kind oh, yeah. of people in the industry that I know and that I have relationships with and I can pick up the phone and talk to anytime and hug me when they see me at events, like important people in the industry, <laughs> they would not be treating me this way. And I just thought they're not even worth my breath. So I try to kind of work with people and, and share those experiences so that doesn't happen to other people. Yeah, it's it's funny how that happens. I mean, just just you going to shot alone is probably more than they would even be able to do. Yeah. You know? That's and well, that's just the lowest bar. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And like some of the shooting events or the fact that I've been to range yeah. day a bunch of times or the six hour range day or um, I'm yeah. going to gun site next week. I leave on Monday oh, um, for the oh, 250 nice. pistol class with um, uh, girls with guns and Ruger. Like I gun site's been on my bucket list forever. So I'm super it's, it's excited. It's on mine too. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited. And how lucky am I that I get to, that I get to do that. I'm a point in my career and my relationship with the industry that I can go and I can participate in something like that. I I'm and, so lucky. And, and doing it with girl, a girl and a gun too. What an amazing, you know, amazing organization right there alone. Well, so this is with this is with girls with guns, the clothing, oh, girls with, okay. girls with guns clothing. But then at the end of April, I'll be at the a girl in a gun national conference in Colorado for a week. So oh. I'll be getting a lot of um, training in the next month or two. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. But yeah, uh, and they're going to have well, six hundred women at the girl in a gun conference this year. I mean, uh, yeah, it's funny because uh, last year was busy because I had um, uh, Sarah Joy Albright on. Um, I'm taking year. her class at the, at the conference. Oh yeah, good. Here. Yeah, super she, excited. She's such she's such an amazing person. She um, is, and I and, and her, she's like her one of those that people class. that I just feel I feel lucky to know her. I feel fortunate to yeah. know somebody like her. You know, it, it's funny because you know I don't know her. I I got to finally meet her face to face at Shot right this year, and um, you know she was on the podcast. I yeah, I really I. I've known her since May of last year when, when mm -hmm. she was on the podcast, May or June, somewhere around there. Um, and then in August, man, life just hit me hard. Um, we had a pipe break and the, the studio here flooded and then uh, all kinds of other things going on. And she sent me a message. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, we're hanging in here. She's like, all right, well, you're going to go to dinner on me. I, I'm gonna send you like twenty bucks. You and your wife go to dinner. I'm like, hey, no, I I appreciate it. Thank you so much. We are, you know, if you had if you had sent me that like three days ago, we different story. We're good. We're we're everything is calmed down. We got everything under control. You know, we're we're not. You know, I'm not sitting here in in the studio in a puddle of water going, what the hell? I'm am I drowning. Gonna do? Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and and then on top of it, I was out of a job at the time too. Right? Ah. So I mean, it was. But anyways, it, she was just like, "You guys are going to go dinner with me." I'm like, "Man, you know what? 
I'll tell you what, that I appreciate it so much. Send that twenty dollars to somebody who really needs it. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm everything's stable here, but such an amazing person. And there are so many people like that that I think the thing about the industry that makes it so special is in other industries, there's that line that you don't cross between professionalism and your friendships. It's just you keep you maintain a distance. Um, yeah. And that that's not part of this industry. It just no. there's no line. No, uh, it, it isn't. It, it isn't. And that's that's why I like being in this industry so much. Um, and that's why. That, you know, like I joked around before we started recording, talking about what the translation of my last name is. You know, it's one who's a talkative person. <laughs> I love talking to people. I love going around and just talking to people and, you know, going to shot. Um, there are so yeah. many people I talk to that I, I couldn't even tell you how many people, uh, you know, some of them I've already forgotten. But when I get to shot next year. I'll remember who, you know, I'll remember that conversation. Well, well you might remember their yeah. face, but you might not remember their name or vice versa. You yeah. might remember their name and not their face. Exactly. I usually remember faces. And that's why I was so stunned when that guy at lunch came up to me and I had no idea who he was. You know who he was. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, we've been, uh, we've been recording for about an hour and a half now. Oh, well, you um, do like to talk. <laughs> I do like to talk. I do. And trust me, I had a, I had one podcast. Um, I think it went almost three hours one time because oh, we wow. just got talking. We went forever. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, I want to be respectful of your time because uh, I know it's starting to get a little towards the end of your day. There, how can people reach you? Um, probably um, email laura.silverbullet at gmail.com or through LinkedIn, Laura Evans, um, or Instagram, Laura Evans Pro Two A is my Instagram awesome. handle. And, I'll make and sure my, my IG got hacked a few months ago before Shot Show, so uh, this is my new this is my new IG. So I don't have. Well, I lost we'll a lot. Sure of that, yeah, I, I I got I got locked out of mine for well, well, we'll just say I got locked out of mine by Instagram, and I have to start a new one. Uh, and they won't let Nasty's. and they won't let me. Yeah, they, well, it, I didn't even do anything. It wasn't even that bad of content on that thing but uh, somebody well, it doesn't somebody, it doesn't have to be these days you're we're, yeah. we're somebody our, our somebody, voice is restricted yeah somebody at meta did not like me uh, so anyways i'll make sure that the that the links are down below for everybody so if you're if you're driving you're listening to this on the audio side don't pull out a pen and start writing we'll make sure the stuff is down below um laura i'd like to end everything with a speed round so it's real simple. okay you're gonna have four this or that questions Okay. And then one thinking question. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, rifle or pistol? Rifle. 223 or 308? 223. Two, okay. Indoor or outdoor range? Uh, I live in New York. It's winter, indoor. Okay. <laughs> For hearing protection, earplugs or muffs? Both. I, Both. I wear electronic muffs with foamies. Awesome. And it's funny. I actually had somebody from um, ESP, which is a, a electronic shooter's protection. Um, he was like, man, if you're shooting indoors, both. Wear I, I both. always do both. I, I have a little bit of 
hearing loss and my son <laughs> in the Marine Corps is like truly deaf. So I want to preserve what I have. Yeah, it's funny. I go tomorrow to go talk to a doctor about hearing aids. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, my, my wife said I've been deaf for a long time, but she just can't handle the TV being that loud now. My husband says I can't hear him. So I, I, I haven't officially been diagnosed with hearing loss, but I think he's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> See, all, all the doctors told my wife is that I had selective hearing loss. Yeah, that's what they told my my <laughs> mom about my dad too that he had selective hearing loss. <laughs> All right. So for your thinking, so your son is in the infantry. Yep. He's going to walk you through the armory and say you're allowed to have one gun in this entire armory. What gun do you reach for? His. His. Yeah. Because I know he's taking care of it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Lord, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to, to jump on. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been great to get to know you a little bit better, too. And um, definitely, if there's anything I can help you with, let me know. I'm always all about networking. Laura's an amazing person. Now, it's really fun to watch the journey of someone to firearms ownership. Now, I grew up pretty much from the beginning with firearms. It started off when I was around seven years old and then it progressed from there. And well, I'm going to be turning 51 this year. And, you know, so there are times where I take for granted people's journey to firearms ownership. Now, Laura had a really, really great story that she shared with us about her journey. You know, she got into it late. It wasn't that she was anti-gun. She was making up decisions for herself. Not only did she get into firearms ownership, she got into 2A advocacy, which, let's face it, that is going above and beyond. Not many people who get into firearms ownership go into 2A advocacy, yet alone those who go in later. Look, if you need some marketing services and you're in the firearms industry, Laura just might be able to help you. Check out the links down below. Now let's get to the product now for the product of the podcast it is the mantis blackbeard now i've had the blackbeard for a while but what's really cool is they up their game with the mantis blackbeard x now the only difference between the blackbeard and the blackbeard x is really right here in the battery pack this thing has the mantis x built into it so the Blackbeard was really cool because it would reset your trigger and you could keep seeing your shots. Well, with the Mantis X built into this Blackbeard, it helps you understand what's going on. Your trigger pull. Do you have too much trigger? Are you jerking the trigger? What's going on? This thing is a great training aid for your ARs. Go check out the Mantis Blackbeard X. You're not going to regret it. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, I have a video for you right there. Go check out about crappy AR triggers and how to replace them with something great. Thanks for watching. Hope you're staying safe out there. I look forward to talking to you again soon.